understand or understand why they happen to be going the way that they do. So what should be our attitude and our characteristics in times such as this? Should we fear what's going on? Should we fear the future? Or shall we worry about our well-being in the life that we live? Often mention of our needing to be reminded that God is in control of the world in which we live. And sometimes we may ask, is that really so? And the scriptures would be given a resounding yes. God is in control. As you read the history, be it in the history books, or be it in the recorded history that God has preserved for us in the, in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament and in the New Testament as well, that ought to be a resounding song, uh, thought that comes through is God is still in control. Even in times of uncertainty for God's people, even in times in wondering if God has had abandoned them and allowing them to go through the things that they were going through, they needed to find that security of understanding who controls the world, who's involved in it. And we don't have a full comprehension of how God has chosen to work. We get glimpses of how he works, and that's what we get to work with in our lives. But indeed, it was declared by the prophets of how God would be working in life. You can look back in the book of Isaiah, for example, and you can look in chapter 13. And you can see as he's talking about sending the Medes to overthrow the Babylonians, both who were bad, but you look down at verse 17 and following. The Lord is speaking, he says, Behold, I will stir up the Medes against them, the Babylonians, who will not regard silver, and as for gold, they will not delight in it. As their bowls will dash the young men to pieces, and they will have no pity on the fruit of the womb. Their eyes will not spare children. And Babylon, the glories of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldeans, pride, when will be, will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And it will never be inhabited, nor will it be settled from generation to generation, nor will the Arabian pitch his tents there, nor will the shepherds make their sheepfolds there. Babylonian thought they ruled the world. And there's a reminder to them as Isaiah's bringing out. That's going to come to an end. He will use the Medes to come in and to deal with the Babylonians. But he will also remind them that God will use a wicked nation to punish a wicked nation. But that nation that punished that wicked, other wicked nation will be punished as well. He has a purpose. A lot of it is in the midst of trials and tribulations in a world of turmoil, be it as it was for them in their day politically or even religiously. As you look at that history of during the days of Isaiah, the divided kingdom, the concern over each of the kingdoms there and what they were doing and how they were living and how God was dealing with them, that question of where is God? And that question is of does God care for his people? 
And again, the resounding answer is yes. Those nations that God used to punish them were the tools in God's hand. And that's the reminder for us of trying to deal with the sovereign rule of God. What we see, we don't fully comprehend. And what we see unfolding, we may not fully comprehend spiritually or even politically. But there is a hand that God has in accomplishing of His will. There are things that God's people needed to go through in the accomplishing of His will. That desire of deciding and making decisions based upon what they saw with the physical eye as they faced opposition from various nations. They oftentimes looked to a nation that had strong horses or a large army and failed to look to God above. There's a lesson for God's people then, and the lesson is for God's people today as well. And as you read through Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel, as you read through the other prophets that are there, given their history, One thing is that reminder over and over and over again. It is foretold what God will do with each of these nations. And many of them would be named, as Daniel would describe in the the days of the fourth kingdom, that Daniel would describe three of those four kingdoms, the one in which he lived, two that were yet to come, and yet be able to call those kingdoms by name and to call the ruler by name 150 years before that ruler was ever born and say, this is what's going to take place. And that in the days of that fourth kingdom, which would be the Roman Empire, God would do what? He would establish a kingdom that would never be destroyed. That's the church. The church will have its ups and downs. The church has always had its ups and downs, even as you read the New Testament. But the church will never be destroyed. It will always stand. God is the head, or Jesus is the head of the body, which is the church. It will always stand until he returns it to the Father one day. Out of 1 Corinthians 15, down around verse 24, he will deliver the kingdom back to the Father one day. But until that time, he still rules supreme. And that's that reminder to us through all the trials, the tribulations, and the distresses that we go through. It's understanding that indeed God is still there. All these judgments that God has placed upon his people in Isaiah had come to pass, has been prophesied. And again, Daniel doing the same thing. Daniel, as he's before the king and making his prediction or or revealing the vision that the king saw, had reminded the king in Daniel 2, verses 19 through 21, that as I understood it, it's God who raises kingdoms and brings kingdoms down. It's God who is in control. It is God who will do the revealing of what is going to take place if he chooses to do such. And he gave the interpretation of that particular dream and the, and the ones that would follow. God is in control. He has a plan. He had it from the foundation of the world. And he had a way of executing that 
plan down through history. You see it unfolded for us, if you will, in the book of Romans, chapters 1, 2, and 3. Particularly, we start in Romans 1, verses 18 through 32. Is a reminder to us in all this history that we've had, at 4,000 years before the, the coming of the New Testament, approximately that period of time, the Gentiles were on their own. They had a law that was written in their heart that God had gave into, given to them. But Romans 1, 18 through 32 reminds us that the Gentiles, who knew there was a God, chose not to acknowledge him as God. The Gentiles who knew he was the creator by the creation which they beheld and which they were a part of chose not to worship him as the the creator but chose rather to worship the creature. And societies have not changed. How many people today are still caught up in wanting to follow their horse skill? Depending on the movement of the stars, we've even had presidents of the United States who would not make decisions until they consulted an individual. What are the stars saying about what should or should not be taking place? Why would you consult the stars that have been created and not consult the creator who made the stars? And so they went farther and farther away from God, and God would give them up to their own ways. Chapter 2 of Romans, Paul would go on to describe, listen, the Gentile, the Jews, who had the oracles of God, had been entrusted with those oracles, chose not to keep them either. They had the law, but did not keep the law. So those who did not have a revelation, did not choose to follow, I had the revelation, but only in a general sense, chose not to follow God. Those who had a specific revelation from God that he chose them, watched over them, protected them, chose not to follow God either. That's why you get to Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned, Jew and the Gentiles, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And on over in the chapter 6 of Romans, in verse 23, the wages of sin is death, separation from God eternally. Wages are what you earn. Because of sin, we've earned spiritual death, separation from God. But the gift of God, some translations will have the free gift of God, is eternal life. But it is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul would tell the people on Mars Hill in Athens in Acts 17, that there's coming a day when God has, the day has already come when God has overlooked the, the wickedness of people, but has commanded men, all, all men everywhere to repent. For there is a day coming when God will judge the world by that one man, Jesus Christ, whom he has raised from the dead. Paul back to Romans 1 and verse 4. God has declared Jesus to be his son with power by the resurrection from the dead. He had already declared vocally three times that he was well pleased with his son. But in Romans 1, 4, it said it's declared with power that it is through Jesus Christ, again, that would rule the world and his kingdom would stand forever. The basis upon which governs the nations is found a little bit in the book of Proverbs, 
chapter 14. In verse 34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness exalts the nation. He is in control. And those who choose to live wickedly in nations may seem to survive, may survive for generations, but they will not stand and God will deal with those. Sin will be approached upon any people. Applies in the political realm, applies in the spiritual realm. It's doing what God would have us to do that brings the honor and the glory to God who is above. All the way through the scriptures, we're found over and over again that need of seeking God. Israel forgot about it. Judah forgot about it. They forgot who they were. They forgot where to look for the help that they needed. We face troubles. We face trials. We face tribulations. And oftentimes we look in the wrong direction. We look towards one another. We need to encourage and help one another, yes. But sometimes we're looking towards one another and we're not looking up to God and the petition of Him and the life that we live. The prophecies of the Messiah reminds us of that eternal nature of that eternal kingdom that God would bring into existence. The government would be on His shoulders and there would be no end to the increase of His government. Back to Isaiah 9 verses 6 and 7. He still rules supreme. It's what history has always shown us. History that we find recorded for us in the pages of God's Word. But again, even without the special revelation of God through His Word, creation still tells you that He reigns supreme. It's always interesting to watch the weather reports. And with all their technology and all of their ability to see from outer space what's going on, man is still not able to accurately predict what God is going to do. The weather didn't come through like they expected. The weather stayed longer than they thought it would. It went in a different direction and on and on it goes. But God is still in control. He still cares. The fact that the world still exists, the fact that God's people are still here on the earth, is that testimony that God still cares for his created beings and desires to work with and to work through them as individuals and collectively through his body. And that kingdom is eternal. And that kingdom will never be destroyed. It's interesting reading history to try to follow that that thread, if you will. And it's not always easy. Because all history, excluding the scriptures, all history is recorded by man. 
and any history that you read, it all has a particular slant to it. One can say they're wanting to be unbiased, but there's always a bias that's involved. So those that record, saying that to say that those who record religious history, there's always a bias in their recording. And many times throughout the history of humanity from the first century down, there's not a lot, there is not a lot of references given to what we would call the Lord's church by name. A lot of emphasis that are given there, that the Lord's church was there, but it was being persecuted. It was being shunned. It was being ridiculed. It was being, they were being put to death, and a lot of that history is not recorded in the way that we would like, may, would like to have it preserved for us. But the, the sovereignty of God continues in the presence or in the person of his Son, Jesus Christ. It's his apostles that remind us in Matthew 28 in verse 18. Jesus said, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. All authority is his. He's still in control. We may not understand, again, the wickedness that we see. We may not understand the tolerance that we see towards ungodliness in a world in which we live and even infiltrating the church at times. But God is still in control. And his will is being worked out. There are things and things, lessons to be learned that we may not fully understand at the present time that we go through those. We live in such a small time frame. As mentioned into the auditorium class this morning, the Bible class, I said, you know, if you start from the beginning of time to the end of time, and it says, where are you in that, in that time span? And it says, you're right there. Did you catch your life? Did you catch what you did during that time frame? Did you catch what God was doing through you during that brief period of time that you lived? It's his kingdom, his world. I trust him that his will will be worked out. Trouble sometimes lie ahead, but I trust him that his will indeed will be worked out. Back when we sang, take time to be holy. There was an interesting phrase. This is the one time I will use the verse that was mentioned, as opposed to oftentimes referring to the one that was not. But in 627, in the third verse, Take time to be holy. Let him be thy guide. And then the phrase, and run not before him, whatever be tied. We want to run before God and see the end results at time. Rather than trust him, be with him and let him guide. And he'll see us through. But we want to run ahead of time and see that end result. In joy or in sorrow, still follow the Lord. Whatever may come our way, joy or sorrow, the need to continue to follow the Lord.
and looking to Jesus, still trust in his word. He is the head over all things to the church. And all have been made subject to him. He is the ruler of the kings and the kings of the earth. Whether they understand it or not or whether we understand it or not. He is still reigning supreme until indeed that last enemy that is destroyed, which is death itself. Jesus is truly Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And there is no government that exists without him. They all come from God. And there is no body of believers of which he is not the head of. And the need to listen to him and the life that we live. And again, as you read the scriptures, there have been times when, again, judgments may involve using one wicked nation against another. Again, for where will you turn in these times of trial? What we can do is to spread the gospel, understand that it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the power of God unto salvation. And then to make us wise and make us righteous in the eyes of God. We can pray fervently, as Paul was telling Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 3. Remind yourself as you pray. You have been granted an audience with the Lord God of heaven. You have been privileged to come into his presence, to lay your thoughts, your concerns, your hopes and your desires before him, believing that he hears and that he answers. Maybe not in the way that we would desire it to be answered, but he answers those prayers. We can do that for the land in which we live, for the body of which we are a part of, and to believe in that power that is there in prayer. Our true strength is found in the Lord. He sustains us. He uplifts us. He is the one, according to Ephesians 3.20, that's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to that power that works within us. To understand who we are, what we've been given, the task that is laid before us, the commitment that is made to him, and the trust, the trust that he knows exactly what's going on and how he will work it to his glory and for his honor.
as we strive to serve him. The kingdom is open to all who will come. As the scriptures clearly bring out, all who come, come with an understanding of who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. And only through His shed blood can forgiveness of sins be found. And one understands the wages of sin and is willing to repent of those sins that separate us from God, to make that acknowledgement, that confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the willingness to turn from those sins, obey Him in baptism for the remission or the forgiveness of those sins to be raised and walk that new life, one is able to do that. And sometimes as His children, We let the world get the better of us. And at times we need to come home. Come back to the Father who waits for us to return. And to believe that when we do such, as a child of God, when we're willing to confess those sins, to know that, again, he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. His is an invitation that is always open. An invitation that is, will not cease until this world ceases to be. But in between them, we have that opportunity and that desire to make one's life right with God. Understanding the brevity of time, the uncertainty of life, to change while there is yet time to change. What is your heart's desire? Where is your soul's relationship with God and with his people? The invitation is extended, and if you need to respond to it, if we could assist you or if we could help you, then indeed we bid you to come as together we stand and sing. Shall now.